Radio. Welcome in to the CHGO White Sox podcast live from Nashville and the MLB winter meetings. I am Kevin Kaduk, head of content at CHGO. On my right is White Sox community leader, Herb Lawrence. Hello. On my left is CHGO White Sox beat writer, Vinny Duber. And to my far right is a special guest, MLB Network insider, John Paul Morosi. He's here to talk about Patrick Kane on the Red Wings. I believe so. Uh, debut tomorrow. Uh, it's it's all in the original six family, Kevin. But uh, Kevin, Herb, Vinny, great to be with you guys. Great to talk some White Sox baseball, winter meetings baseball. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for the invitation. Well, thanks for stopping by. It's uh, It's been an interesting uh, winter meetings. I, I think, you know, that's a relative term. Um, but for the White Sox purposes, we came in here thinking about Dylan Cease. Uh, what would the market look like? Um, what would the White Sox want to get from him? What would other teams be willing to, uh, to give up for him? What have you heard about Dylan Cease as you've walked around the hotel here? Very popular name. And I think the, the distinction between Dylan Cease and Corbin Burns and Shane Bieber as well is the years of control. In the case of, of Cease, it's two. And with Burns, it's one. And with Bieber, it's one. With Glass now, it's one. Mm-hmm. So I think because of that value component, the, the two years – really is crucial. And I think you look as well at, I made this point, we were talking back and forth on MLB Network recently about how he would set up. If Dylan Cease were a free agent right now, if you were to look at his last two years and compare them to Aaron Nola's last two years, especially when you group in Cease's 2022, he's better. And so when you think about Aaron Nola signing for $175 million, it tells you there's a lot of value in what Dylan Cease does. There's a lot of industry interest in what he's able to do with his swing and miss with his youth pretty good track record of staying healthy so for all those all those reasons he's a very appealing player and so i think like a lot of things this week and stop me if you've heard this before but some folks are waiting on otani and yamamoto to see (laughs) just how desperate they are to get dylan c so for example the dodgers if the dodgers don't get otani and if they don't get yamamoto and maybe if they don't get one of the top free agents as well uh, in that in that upper echelon, mm-hmm. then a trade becomes very palatable. And if you are given the choice, I do think the Dodgers would prefer to have someone for two years because if you look at the Dodgers rotation, it's not just a one-year need. They actually need guys for a while. They've you look at their playoff rotation when when they were winning the world series for example a lot of those names are gone and so they need they need to replenish that kershaw is not getting any younger so for all those reasons i think getting ceased for two years for a team like the dodgers the braves would also fit in the same category the giants fit in the same category there's a lot of teams out there the orioles are another one with their great base of prospects so i, I think the white Sox can and should dream a little bit on what they can get for him because the interest in him is simply that strong. Chris Getz and Josh Barfield both told us this week, John, that they don't think they have urgency to trade Dylan Cease, that they don't think they need to trade Dylan Cease. If that's the case and they are willing to be patient and wait for the right, right offer, how about the other teams? What sort of urgency is there from other teams? Obviously laid out, you know, some of the mechanics that are going on right now. But once we get to that stage, what is the urgency of some of these other teams to trade for Dylan C right. versus trading away Dylan C? It's a great point, Vinny. I think a, a big part of that is you think about the dynamics of the off season versus the in season. And I remember a long time ago, uh, a GM once told me, John, if I'm going to trade a position player, the best time to, to trade a position player is in the off season, because you've got 
every GM has some maneuverability in his or her roster to make some changes. We, we're, we're seeing this unfold in real time today with Juan Soto and the Yankees. There you go. A one-year position player. The better time to trade Soto for the Padres was now and not in July. The difference with pitching is that right now, if 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 Chris Getz calls up the Braves and says, hey, I need your one and two and three prospect, Alex Anthopoulos could say, wait a minute. I've got this entire list of free agent pitchers that I can sift through. I'm Why would I do that right now? But in July, he can't say that. In July, there's no option to say, right. "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the free agent market because it doesn't exist." And so, for for that for that purpose, I do think the mechanics of the marketplace do suggest that that moving him in July is is a very valid plan, especially if you believe. And this is, I think, where you have to trust your baseball staff, medical staff. If Chris gets Josh Barfield say to themselves, "We believe there's more in there." Than what he gave us in 23 yeah and that his value is going to come up in the first half of the season and if it does then you're trading him to a team for two pennant races and that team by the way has already proven itself for a couple months to be a contender at which point in time maybe you're a bit more willing to make that deal so i i think they can be patient and that's one of the reasons why i really like the move they made with bummer because they were able to bank a good return with major league players who, if things go well health-wise, potentially account for 40% of your rotation with one trade for a reliever when when you're probably not going to be competing for a World Series. Like That's that's almost always the right strategy. And I, I think we saw a really good first move of the Getz, Barfield, Yanish, Gene Watson administration. The White Sox did make a move for a starting pitcher. And how is the signing of Eric Fetty, who is the KBO MVP, Cy Young, viewed on the outside so herb it's, it's a great question it's a i think it's a great strategy by the white Sox. you have to think outside the box a little bit you got to be a little bit different because you're not going to be able to compete one for one for shohei otani you're not going to get him mm-hmm. so you got to you have to be a little imaginative and uh, i i give them credit for understanding the market um fetty is someone who like merrill kelly went over to kbo changed his repertoire changed his methodology picked up a new pitch and has become a different pitch so um, I, I like I like that strategy. I like it too because you're bringing in someone who is adaptable by nature. He's he picked up his life and moved to Korea and then came back. That's I, I'm always uh, I'm always impressed by people that take that leap of faith to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's no surprise that you've seen players come back, whether it's Miles Michaelis, Nick Martinez, Brooks Raley. Merrill Kelly and have success because you, you mature so much when you do that. So I, I think that Fetty's repertoire is better. I think he's going to be a more composed pitcher than he was the first time he was over with, with the nationals. And it's, he's a great find. I look at him as being a, a solid mid rotation starter. Um, and, and I think that it's exactly what the white Sox need. They just, you watch them more closely than, than I did certainly last year. And, and they just needed, they needed, like a raft in the water to say, okay, here's like, I, I I'm secure here. I know who I'm going to, I know what I'm going to get from this player in this position. They didn't have a lot of that last mm-hmm. year. And I think that Fetty is someone that, that is one of those, one of those rafts, uh, one, one of those life preservers that, you know, that he'll, he'll give you what you're hoping for. And I think that's a very welcome change for what the last couple of years, of the white Sox has been a lot of talk, obviously about cease before the meetings, mm-hmm. during the meetings, Chris Getz told us on Monday, not very likely that they're going to move Luis Robert Jr. unless he's really blown away. Right. What, do, what do you think the odds are, the, the chances are that they could move 
Yoan Moncada or Aloy Jimenez, two guys who obviously are due some big pay raises in 2024. But Chris said last night they'd be open-minded to, to, to paying down something if the deal made sense. Is there interest in either of those guys out there? I think there is, but but again, the, the unfortunate part is for the White Sox, so many of their players just had uncharacteristic seasons and inconsistent seasons that it's hard it's hard to have a player as talented as Moncada or Eloy and trade them now. Now, they may have to do it because I think there is a financial reality that the White Sox have to acknowledge, and, and you can't afford everybody. Mm-hmm. And and yet, you look at the, the free agent market right now. You've got Jorge Soler, J.D. Martinez, Justin Turner. You've got some bats that are kind of similar yeah. in mm-hmm. profile, at least to Eloy. And then with Moncada, there, there's maybe not, not a ton of middle infielders but again the corners d- d- depends on how you view Moncada I tend to look at him mostly as a third baseman now but uh Jamer Candelario is there Gio Urshela is there is a great defender Matt Chapman's on the on the free agent market so there are enough comparables again to where I think the White Sox probably would have to pay down that contract and find a team that really needs a bat and says okay, we'll, we'll probably pay down this deal or maybe we'll package them together or we'll take on one of your contracts, whatever it might be. But I, I do think some creativity is going to be required. And and where I think the White Sox are in a better position right now than they've been in a long time is is there is continuity in how they're operating. Like Chris Getz, uh, I've known him you know, really throughout his professional baseball career. Very impressed by Chris, not just because he went to Michigan. He's just a, you know, he's a, he's a great executive and a great guy. Um, but he, so in the past, and you know, this, there were a lot of different spheres of influence. Was this a Kenny decision? Was this a Rick decision? Did they agree on this? Did they not? All of that now is gone. And I think it's more of a Chris likes this move. Josh Barfield likes this move. Uh, Gene Watson, who knows talent as well as anybody in the game likes this move. We, we in agreement? Okay, let's do it. And that's it. And, and I think that there were probably a lot of opportunities that the White Sox, and it was no one's fault really specifically, but they just, they missed on stuff because they couldn't make a decision when you have to make quick decisions. And I think that the current structure of the front office, I think White Sox fans will be very pleased at just the the, the way they can be nimble. They made, a, they made a significant trade right away in the offseason. That I don't think would have happened in, in recent years. And I just think it's emblematic of a team that's that's humming right now in terms of its its overall uh, collaboration and chemistry as a front office. Obviously, a lot of Kansas City flavor yes. with, with the White Sox. You tweeted in the last hour that the White Sox and Whit Merrifield, who has been spotted around the Opryland Hotel yes. this week, could be an excellent match in free agency. Do you actually see that coming together? Yes, I, I, I think that... Whether he lands on the south side or not, I, I think it's going to be a really good fit. And I think the White Sox will be one of those teams that's in there at the end. I don't know exactly where it stands in terms of the conversations, negotiations, if he's already had an offer or anything like that. I just I just see the fit. And he knows Pedro Grifol. He knows Chris Getz. I, I, I happen to think Pedro is going to be really effective in, in this year as, as a year two as a manager. I'm, I've always been a big fan of his, and I just think it's the, it's set up well. He knows the people around him. He's known Chris forever. He's known Gene Watson forever. It's 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 more his team now, I think. Sure. And and so I, I look at Wit. If if you're able to bring him in, Wit is a high character guy, great clubhouse guy who wants to be a great second baseman. He's I think he's already shown he can play defense there. He puts the ball in play. He does a lot of things that are valuable in the game now. And, and I I did go back like trip down memory lane. I said to myself. How many times have I come to these meetings and, and wondered 
who the White Sox can have to play second base. And I went back and with with, with the with the genius of baseball reference, yeah. I searched for all the players oh, no. that the White Sox have had that have that have started a hundred games at second base. Mm. And the last one, I, I mentioned this in a tweet, the last one that had a, a hundred plus OPS plus, meaning league average or better offensive player was was Alice Ramirez in two thousand eight. That's so amazing. so that's so that that position for a decade and a half has been objectively below average. Like like for 15 years, mm-hmm. I, 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 I said on the air like yesterday, just sort of like spitballing ideas. I said, man, like they haven't had a really great second baseman since since Tataguchi. And then, <laughs> and, and sure enough, like it was on that list. It was Ramirez and then Aguchi. I was like, I wasn't off by, by too far. <laughs> probably Ray Durham. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ray and Ray Durham before him. Exactly. I and mean, that's that's what we're talking about. So I think um, they're due to have some good news at second base and wit would be good news. Yeah. Last thing I've got for you in uh, Wondering when you're next going to be on MLB Network, and we'll get. We'll get yeah, you. I appreciate her. Thank you. So I, I think probably pretty soon. Uh, I'm I'm here as our our network team is getting back to resume our our in studio schedule uh, tomorrow. The, the the benefit and the blessing of being a Midwesterner and, and not being based at, at the home studios, I can sort of I can say I'll travel back home to Michigan tomorrow night, and then I'm right back in 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 the studio mode Friday back in my normal Ann Arbor setup where I drop the kids off at school and come home and do TV. So. Uh, I'm very, very lucky. Uh, you know, I, I love being in the Midwest, as you guys know, and uh, certainly a big night tomorrow for the Wings, as you mentioned. 88's coming over there, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But you've got Bedard to watch, and I, uh, I had a chance to watch him last year in person. Just uh, what an amazing player! Well, so, we're gonna get, we have Connor Bedard next year. We'll have Jim Harbaugh as coach of the Chicago. Th- yeah, there you go, and, uh, <laughs> and that, that's that's all good. I, I know Michigan's played really well. Uh, it's been, as you know, a bit of a tumultuous year. So yeah. if it's time for for Jim to be, to be back in the NFL and be back at Hallis Hall. That's all good. So that's uh, he's he was there. Now was was Hallis Hall there when he was a player? Was it in Lake yes, Forest? Yes. It's always been the same place. So there uh, you go. It's, it's a new it's building, but new building. Better, yeah. Okay. I, I was in Lake Forest in October for a field hockey tournament. How about that? There you go. My, my daughters play field hockey, so we were up there and had a great time. So amazing. Well, yeah. thanks for stopping by. We know you're a busy guy. We appreciate your time. My pleasure. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for the conversation, guys. All the best. Thank thanks, you. Jeff. Thanks, thanks so much. Thank you, John Paul Morosi, MLB Network Insider. Noted Detroit Red Wings fan. So that's interesting. I mean, I, I, it's, you know, we, we talk about the White Sox five days a week and we're so in, yeah. uh, in the weeds on it. It's, it's nice to have someone come in and give a national perspective, maybe a little more uh, emotionless perspective than maybe the Herb and Sean normally give. Well, and I think too, just the knowledge, listen, this time of year, this, when we're talking about the things we're talking about all week long at the winter meetings, transactions. Yeah takes two to tango, right? Yeah. And so we might know what the White Sox want. We might know what the White Sox are looking for. We might know how they operate, but we don't know what the, 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 the potential trade partners are thinking. We don't know what player agents are thinking and, and, and what's important to those guys. So to get the uh, perspective that covers both sides of that equation is extremely I, I still just kind of find it interesting, and I want to see how it's going to play out. You know, we're, we're seeing where Otani, where Yamamoto are going to go, but where does Cease go if if he is available and teams do want him? Um, he mentioned the other, you know, pitching candidates that are kind of out there waiting for the other two to kind of slot in. With Cease, with that, that two years of control, could he move to the, 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 the head of the line and be so attractive that, that some team is coming up and giving that much? I don't think that's going to happen, but also after listening to John, it you know, certainly well could you know, end up that way. Yeah, and I mean, I think what we've been talking about is, is kind of what the White Sox have said this week, which is 
there are so many different routes, right? You can think of it playing out in so many different ways. Maybe they trade him right away this offseason because, hey, I'm a team and I got to have two years of Dylan Cease and I'm going to give you whatever you want because look how good that guy's been. Right. Or maybe it is, you know what? I'm another team. I don't want to give up that much. I'm going to go after one of these one-year guys. And, and and the White Sox are left with uh, with fewer suitors perhaps than they thought they had. Or maybe it's what John was was talking about. White Sox say, hey, we didn't get what we wanted in the in the winter. Let's keep him. He's pretty good. He could help us win games in, in April and May and June. Wait until the trade deadline when there is some desperation, some real desperation as teams look to distinguish themselves among a crop of contenders. And one thing that's not really said uh, often is that when they do trade him, if they do trade him, that team that gets him will have the availability to uh, give him a qualifying offer at the end of his contract. So, yes, it's not great. It's just not the biggest thing, but that goes a, away once you're traded. Oh, uh, what? I that, thought once was, you're traded, you can't have the qualifying offer. I anymore. thought it's still uh, still there. Don't believe so. Okay. Yeah. I believe it, it is if it's your original team. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, right. shout out to everyone who's joining in. Shout out to everyone who's joined in with us during our three shows here in Nashville. Uh wanted to mention we are having a CHO diehard sale uh through the end of the weekend. You can become a CHO diehard for just $59.99. That's $20 off the regular price and it gets you everything uh, from 20% off merch and events uh, to insider coverage from our experts like Vinny Duber. You get a free shirt every year. And look, if you're already a diehard, no problem. Sign somebody up, get a gift subscription, also $59.99. Comes in a great CHGO diehard box. So it'll be underneath the tree. So if, if you do that now, uh, you get that box, you get that shirt, and you're off. And, and all your shopping's done. So check that out at allchgo.com forward slash diehard herb i was half right mm -hmm. so if a team were to acquire dylan cease in 2024 in season okay they could offer him a qualifying offer at the end of his contract contract because he will have spent the entire 2025 Five. season okay. on that team That's an cool. in-season acquisition is ineligible to receive a qualifying offer okay gotcha hey with empire today you get a shop at home convenience the right product for your needs quick and professional installation and a low price guarantee. Empire today is the best place to get new flooring. So of course they have copycats, but Empire can't be beaten on quality service speed. So competitors advertise low quality products that Empire simply won't carry. Empire won't promise the lowest prices because anyone who does that is putting flooring in your home that they would not put in theirs. Look, uh, if you you know call up Empire, 588-2300, they keep shopping for floors simple with a curated product selection. Empire's philosophy is to help you find what you need, not overwhelm you with thousands of choices and substitutes. What they leave out of their selection is as important as what they put in. Empire's product team exhaustively combs through the thousands of product samples each year to find the perfect styles. They pride themselves also on that convenient shop at home surface, help customers shop for floors, where they use their floors so they can see exactly what their new floors will look like in their home's lighting and decor so they make a informed decision. Is it decor or decor? I never know. I would, I would go decor, but I think it, it might be yeah. up to interpretation. Okay. Empire also service, services its own warranties. If an issue arises, you just call up Empire, and they service all the warranties themselves. You don't have to track down any manufacturers or start bothering them. So, hey, schedule a free in-home estimate today. And all listeners can receive a $350, off, $350 off discount when they use promo code CHGO. 
Restrictions apply. See empiretoday.com forward slash CHGO for details. It is getting easier for businesses to switch to electric vehicles. That's something we all can get behind for the health of the planet and the well-being of all of us who share it. Herb, what a fantastic point. You know, the electric grid is evolving to meet your cleaner energy needs as we all move with confidence toward an electric tomorrow. Whether you have one delivery van or a whole fleet of shipping trucks, ComEd can help you, they can help guide you rather to make the changes that make sense. So what should business owners do, Vinny? Herb, it's a phenomenal question. What they should do is they should go to comed.com slash clean to learn more about the resources, fleet rebates, and infrastructure incentives available to help businesses go electric. If you, you own a business, don't wait. Start making your plan today to switch to an electric vehicle. Good for business, good for the planet, good for all of us. Go to comed.com slash clean. Did you say comed.com slash clean? Herb, I'm glad that you went to the ear doctor and they found out that you had great hearing because that's exactly what I said. So go now and see how going electric connects us to a better way of doing business and a better future for generations to come. Excellent. Well, thanks everyone for joining the CHO White Sox podcast. We just had John Paul Morosi giving the national perspective. Want to get into what happened here today at the winter meetings. It's the last day of the winter meetings. The big event is the Rule 5 draft. Uh, the White Sox selected pitcher Shane Drohan uh, from the Boston Red Sox organization. He's a left-handed pitcher. Uh, he was picked fourth in the Rule 5 draft. He's a lefty with a plus changeup. Uh, not great numbers in, in the minor leagues. He had a 5.05 ERA and a 129-72 to 72, uh, strikeout walk ratio over 123 innings between uh, AA Portland and AAA Worc Worcester. 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 I don't know. Rhymes with Rooster. 2023. Turns 25 on January 7th, and he was drafted with the 148th pick in the fifth round of the 2020 MLB draft out of Florida State. Uh, we have sound from Chris Getz on both uh, Shane Drohan and then also yesterday's signing uh, Eric Fetty. So uh, Stephen has that queued up. We'll go straight to that. Shane Drohan, uh, yeah, he's a, a left-handed starter with the Boston Red Sox. Pitched at Double A, had a little Triple A time as well. It's a guy that you know we've got history with going back to you know his Florida State days. Um, you know we had some early spring training looks on him this year, and we liked what we saw. And then during the season as well, and then you know further evaluation analytically, there were some indications of, of some upside here. So it's an opportunity to take a shot um, on an arm that you know we feel has a potential to, to have some survival skills at the major league level to begin with and long term with a little bit of upside that could potentially be a rotation piece or um, or a reliever of some sort. Sounds some, like you're talking scouting, but do you have someone more direct connection to him? Brian worked with him before? Vanny's uh, not worked with him before, but obviously in the evaluation process, we bring him in on any you know pitcher acquisition. And um, yeah, you, you break it down certain ways um, and you come to a decision on who you want to bring in. And Shane was there and we feel good about it. Some of the numbers you know, might not impress some folks, but what jumped out about you guys or to you guys about him? Well, at double A, you know, he, he was off and running pretty well. And then when he got up to triple A, um, you know, he, he slid a little bit. And whether that was a fatigue factor, I know a lot of pitchers, um, you know, we dealt with it, guys going from double A to triple A with the ABS system. It kind of altered their performance just because it was a different pitching environment. So, you know, obviously these things are bets and, uh, you know, there's, but there's enough support and indicators to think that there's, there's potential here. You see him as part of the starting pitching mix that was going into the spring? 
You know, obviously that's a possibility if he comes in. Um, that's very dependent on who else we, we bring in here. Um, but there's also versatility there. So I, I think it's that's what made him attractive. He doesn't necessarily need to be in the rotation. There, there, there are enough weapons there, um, you know, with, with his pitch mix. And that's something we identified as well is, you know, his attack plan right now. We feel like there's some tweaks to it to really optimize what he has. What changed uh, with Fetty that you guys were able to see that you could project him back? Being a major league uh, pitcher for you. Well, we, we were able to, you know, look at the type of pitcher he was with the Nationals, and and you know they not tendered him, and he, he went over to Korea, but in the off season, we know uh, physically he really worked on his body so he could move down the, the the rubber a little bit differently, but most importantly, it was his pitch arsenal. There's some real uh, material differences with his stuff. Um, he added the sweeper. Um, you know, he got a better feel for his sinker. He changed his attack plan, and he more or less dominated over at the KBO. And there's been success stories here recently. The Merrill Kellys of the world. We talked to um, we talked to hitters over there. We talked to people that are just around that league, and felt like he was the most feared pitcher um, in that league. And the numbers show it. So, you know, to take a chance on a guy where we see this material difference to come back here, he's got confidence. He had a it was a tremendous runway for him to, to make these adjustments and then go to a league um, where, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a major league environment from a fan's pressure standpoint. Um, and certainly being, you know, a foreigner, it's never easy. So he's got a lot of confidence. We see a difference in the stuff. And for him to come back here um, with that level of confidence and the ability, which is uh, a difference from where it was before, you know, we were willing to take that bet and we look forward to, to giving him that runway here with the White Sox. Is the pitch arsenal as important as even the numbers that he put up in Korea, you know, showing the, that he chained? That yeah, he changed. the combination of both and, and you know, when you when you look at a projection system and, you know, we've got the ability to, to get a better understanding of this, you know, is it going to translate? Should it translate? And there, were, there was enough support there to feel like we should we should go and get Eric Fetty. How would you assess these meetings overall, the conversations you've had, even if it's you know only manifested itself in the in the Fetty deal and the Rule 5 pickups? I mean, listen, we, we, we were able to get some things done here. Uh, we've got someone for our rotation, and obviously we've got a, a weapon here with a Rule 5 pick, and you know we laid a, laid a foundation for, for you know the potential of um, you know, bringing guys in and in, in certain capacities. Um, I know that a lot of people are disappointed more business would, um, would have been, you know, conducted here around the league, um, but there was, st we're still moving the needle. Does the, does the fact that Fetty got a multi-year deal kind of show your guys' confidence that, that he'll be able to contribute, you know, the way you expect him to, not just this year, but in, or not just next year, rather, but in 25 as well? Yes, that, I mean, that was important. Um, to bring someone in here that we feel like is not only going to help us in the immediate, but could help us in 25 as well, um, and with a chance to, to for for a little bit more than that um, in terms of his pr production. You've made it clear to teams that uh, if they're going to get Dylan Cease, they're going to have to pay deeply. Uh, is, was it good to get the message out that hey, the bar is going to be high? We're not giving this guy away. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if the message needed to be put out there, quite honestly, just because everyone knows how impactful Dylan Cease is in this league. Um, and, but, the, you know, you have a certain threshold as an organization and a return um, on, on someone like Dylan Cease. And, and if there's an opportunity to, to strengthen our club um, and plug some holes, 
um, which we need to do and continue to look for opportunities to do that, we have to consider that. Have you talked to it all? Do you have to talk to Dylan in this process? I mean, just with the rumors that come out there, is it basically on if he reaches out to you, maybe you say something? Yep. Uh, I personally have not, not spoken to him, but, you know, whether it be Ethan or Fanny or our strength and conditioning staff and training staff, um, we've been in communication with him. Um, I know he's been reading his name um, in there, and I, that, that at times can be, um, you know, a little bit different feeling, but he's been traded before. Um, you know, he, but he's at a different stage in his career, right? And Dylan's really grown up, and um, he knows how I feel about him. Um, he knows what the organization feels about him. He's he's one of the stars in our game, um, and we've really enjoyed having him. And you know, there's there's certainly you know a chance that he's back with us, and we'd be feeling pretty good about that too. It's not like a bad team would be trading for him, right? I mean, he's if he doesn't have a chance to help you win, he's going to have a really good chance to help someone else. Yeah, so I. I, I um, I think he's he's in a pretty good headspace. No, Dylan sees. Uh, starting pitching, how big of a priority still is it for you guys even after the Fetty deal? No, it, it remains a high priority. Um, you know, we, we've got some innings to cover, and we're going to try and go out there to 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 get the best pitchers we can uh, with when, within the means that we have. What sort of fit is he from a personality clubhouse standpoint in terms of what you guys are trying to build from an identity standpoint? Yeah, makeup, uh, work ethic, you know, the, the determination, well, I should say the awareness that he needed to make a change. Um, and not only did he understand he needed to make that change, but he went out and did it, right? And, and we're talking about a former first rounder, a guy that has made uh, uh, countless starts at the major league level, so he understands what it's going to take, and he, he was very intentional with with the changes he made, and, and most importantly, he was able to, to execute. So, just back to your Rule Five guy, do you see him as a starter, or do you see him as a reliever? If it was to start today, uh, long term, we believe he's got the ability to start. Um, you know, the Rule Five is, you know, the mechanics of the Rule Five. Um, you know, make it make it challenging um, because you only have so many starter spots. We're talking about a guy that hasn't pitched in the big leagues yet, and but what made him attractive is he does have this versatility. He's a left-handed, a left-handed arm that could go in the bullpen. He's got the weapons to do that. He's got weapons that can handle, you know, right and left-handed hitters. Um, and if you have those weapons, the ability to go, you know, deeper into games, um, yeah, there's there's starter potential, but there's reliever ability too. So if you're going to have a guy stick on a roster. It becomes easier when you have that versatility. You feel close on anything uh, leaving these meetings? Um, I wouldn't say that they're, we feel like we're knocking on the door of something, um, but it's more, you know, getting a better idea of where we stand, whether it be, um, you know, acquiring a guy through free agency or a trade. I will say that we're, we're, we're very organized. Um, you know, we, we've we've done a nice job this off season um, with setting out a plan and feel really good about where we're at so far. And you know, just kind of want to continue to capture the momentum. Excellent camera work, Vinny. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know where you want to start with that. I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of good stuff in there. That was obviously the last time Chris Getz talked here in Nashville, wrapping things up, uh, putting a bow on stuff as it happened here. They obviously did achieve things here. Uh, not, not a you know big, huge moves, but it seems like Chris Getz feels pretty confident in what they did achieve. Do you want to start with with Drohan or or Fetty? I'll leave it up to you. I mean, you know, I think for a lot of the guys that they've acquired. 
you know, and, and John was talking about it a little bit earlier, getting creative. The White Sox have addressed their need in the starting rotation, but they haven't really brought in a lot of certainty. And I think mm. Fetty might be as close to that as they think, you know, they have obviously are looking at the work that he put in. They're looking at really in-depth pitching stuff with Brian Bannister aboard in the front office. Uh, but looking at it from the outside, we don't know because he hasn't faced major league hitting in two years. Is he going to be the same kind of pitcher that he was in Korea where he was, you know, the best pitcher in the, in, in the league, or is he going to be closer to the pitcher that he was the last time he was in the United States, which was a guy who had five and a half ERAs for the Washington nationals. Sure. We're, we're going to find out. And certainly Chris gets and company very confident that it will be the former, that it will be uh, that the changes that he made last offseason are going to stick. But, this is a yet another starting pitcher with a big question mark here with the White Sox. Now, the good news for the White Sox is they have more of those than they did before where they had, uh, you know, starting pitchers with question marks and but not enough of them to fill out a rotation. And now they've got some guys that they can plug in. Fetty is going to be in that rotation. It's a two year major league deal. Um, if you move to the rule five guy that they took today in Drohan, seems like it would be a little bit more of a question where he ends up. I mean, remember this is a rule five pick. If they want to keep him, he's got to be part of that major league roster. So is he going to be, uh, you know, arrive at spring training and, and all of a sudden the guy who had a six and a half ERA in triple a has figured some things out. It happens. Right. But, but uh, you know, is he going to show up and win a job in that starting rotation in the spring, or are they going to look to him maybe more as a bullpen piece, Chris, in the, in the sound that we just played really hyping up the versatility and, and maybe uh Drohan's ability to land in the bullpen. So yeah. the, with the moves that they've made so far, not a lot of certainty being brought in in certain avenues. Yeah. We've talked about infield defense being improved. And I think you're going to continue to see defense be a focus, whether it's at the catcher position or in right field. Um, but you know, uh, just a lot of like, we'll see what happens when these guys show up to uh Campbellback ranch. And, uh, in Arizona. It'll be interesting. Cause judging from those comments, it sounds like a lot of um, the, the impression that Drew had made with them was uh, in spring training of, from a year ago, correct? Scouting. I mean, they Scout, just, yeah. you know, they've scouted this guy. It sounds like, you know, Chris mentioned that they probably were looking at him back when he was a college player and, and mm -hmm. you know, that they've scouted. You, you think about all the work that some of these scouting, amateur scouting departments do leading up to each and every draft. They basically have a knowledge or a working knowledge of everybody in baseball at a certain point because, right. oh, well, we remember when we were looking at him during the draft. We remember when we were looking at him during the draft. Um, and so, but they've seen some things that obviously they think is going to work for this kid. Um, yeah, the numbers, once he went to AAA last year, they were they were spectacular in AA for about five or six starts. I think the ERA was under two. And then once he got to AAA, uh, there were some struggles. And so yeah, is, yeah. is this going to be a guy who gets thrown to the Major League Wolves? He has not pitched in the Major Leagues yet um, after figuring some stuff out and finding some success. Or um, is it just a, a roll of the dice? And I think that's a thing to remember when you talk about Fetty, who obviously got a two-year major league deal. When you talk about Drohan, who is, uh, you know, just a rule five pick, Chris Getz was using language like, like bets and, and, and we're willing to bet on this and risk this and roll the dice. I don't, you got to remember, nobody knows how this is going to turn out. And I think okay. there is some higher levels of question marks with where the White Sox are in their process right now. And some of the guys that they're, and it has in. to pay off right away because with the, with that roster spot, I mean, he's got to put up or shut up in, in spring training. So, yeah. And Vinny, when we were talking about the off season for the White Sox, the last couple of years, we've been talking about starting pitching depth. What has Chris Getz and his staff gone and done? Went and got Jared Schuster, went and got Michael Soroka. Now you're getting uh, Eric Fetty to be in the actual rotation. You know he's going to be in the rotation. And then Drohan, just to give you depth for the major leagues, 
and the minor leagues because they didn't have all that. Like, remember last year, I think it was two consistent starting pitchers on that uh, Charlotte Knights team. So that's what they need. They need to start filling out the bottom of the roster and the bottom of that minor league system. So this is a good move. It's uh, it's a move that the White Sox need to be making more of. Just get in arms in there. Yeah, Johan, the numbers don't look great in Triple A, but I think they have a lot of faith in what Brian Bannister brings to the table, a lot of faith in what Ethan Katz brings to the table. And so, yes, these names and these moves in major leagues and their uh, professional side of here in America, the numbers don't look great, but they seem to have a lot of faith in what their pitching lab and what it is it's going to be in the future can transform these arms. And you saw Brian Bannister last night on uh, Twitter at the real Banny just gush about what Fetty did. He worked at the same facility as Logan Webb, who was at the San Francisco Giants, added some sweeper split change to his arsenal, just as Webb did. And he said that Ethan Katz and himself were both with Webb when he made those changes. So you're getting right from the horse's mouth and Brian Bannister, why they wanted to make these moves. And when you just heard from Chris Getz, these moves for them, it seems like they're not only scouted these players, but they need these type of players these type of level of players because they're not going to be at the Yamamoto or the Shohei Tani's or the top of the league of Blake Snell type of moves, but you're going to be in the mid rotation type of guys and fill out the rest of your roster type of guys. And this is what they should be doing. And Herb, you'll see more. This, this I mean, the, the White Sox have so many needs to address so much depth to, to add. They're not done by any stretch of the imagination. There's there's going to be a lot of moves left, and there's still going to be starting pitching moves too because they need they need to have they need to have some depth, like you mentioned. But it would be nice if some of the guys they've already got were depth too. You know what I mean? So I think that you're going to see continued moves. We, we, we've been talking for uh, you know days now. Is Dylan Cease going to go somewhere? If that's the case, that starting pitching need becomes even greater than it already is. So mm-hmm. you're going to see a continued focus on pitching, as Chris said in that in that clip. So I love the fact that Brian Bannister is going on Twitter and sharing these thoughts because uh, I think it's just illuminating for for journalists and media and, and fans. Um, are you though surprised that I mean is is that I don't I I feel like that's not normal in in baseball right like that usually it's like the the GM or the president is the mouthpiece. Do you, did you find it interesting that that Bannister? I mean obviously he's always been outspoken about these things before he's with the White Sox, but did you find it interesting that he was doing that? Yeah. I mean, mostly because the deal's not official yet. Uh, they've got a, they've got a physical that they've got to get done. So I, yeah. I, I mean, like I'm, there's a bit of me that was a little surprised that Chris Getz was talking about it today, yeah. you know, just because um, not that anything's going to go wrong or expected to be a, a red flag, but it's just, you hear nothing but silence. Well, when all this stuff is reported and, and, and fans, fans always see, you know, if somebody like John tweets that a deal's done, oh, it's done. It's that's right. It. right, and, right. And, and that's not always the case. Uh, even if it is, the teams don't act that way. And we're not, we, as the, as the reporters are not supposed to act that way. Um, and so to see, yes, like you mentioned a comment from a member of the front office, who is not the person that is giving, usually giving the uh, right, answers. Right. Uh, that is, that is interesting and a little surprising, but it's even more surprising that he was doing it when, with, without the team having announced the deal. Well, you know what? It's the <laughs> holiday season. You know, they may want to be taking their families to that, that drive in light sleigh at the guaranteed rate field. Maybe they just figured everyone's here already. We'll get it done in Nashville. We'll, we'll, we'll make a bet on the fact that the, 
the, the medicals will, will clear and and we'll we'll call it a day. So I'm, I'm sure you appreciated it. I did appreciate it. It's more 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 stuff to write about. You've always got to appreciate that. Yeah. So um, I guess overall impressions of of Chris Getz. I, I think I asked you this yesterday, but overall, like Chris Getz's first winter meetings. Overall impressions. Yeah, I mean, I think that you can look around baseball and say that, oh, just because he didn't get everything on his to-do list done this week doesn't mean that, that he did a poor job because right. he's one of the only GMs that did get something done this week with, with a very slow winter meetings here uh, that are wrapping up right now. Um, so I think this was a lot of laying a foundation for stuff in the for stuff moving forward, be it in the next few days, the next few weeks, the next few months. Um, it was having those conversations with folks and, and, and trying to get the ball rolling on some things. I think he used the word either build off the momentum that they had from from making the Aaron Bummer trade or to, to create new momentum towards something else. So um, I think that. You know, you keep hearing, whether it's from people with the White Sox, John was mentioning it here earlier, Chris Katz has a plan, and he's trying to execute that plan. It might be uh, a plan that doesn't strike every fan as their favorite approach. It might be a plan that um, might be a little different from what you see people around baseball doing, but we keep hearing about Chris Getz's vision for what this team is supposed to be. And it sounds like they're sticking to that, that they are trying to make that become a reality with the types of players that they're acquiring and the types of guys that they want to come in and play the style of baseball that they want them to play. Um, we keep hearing from Chris and Pedro kind of describing what that's going to be a faster, more aggressive style, playing a more well-rounded game, being more fundamentally sound. This is something that the white Sox were very much not in mm-hmm. the last two years. And so to go ahead and get them to where they want them to be, I personally don't see it happening in one off season. I think it's too much work to do to get done by the end of, of, of or by the time they leave Arizona. Um, but, the future is not just one year. And so I think that there is a very, very strong effort being taken by Chris and his front office to everybody be on the same page, everybody work toward this goal that we have set. We're going to try and make this vision become a reality. Yeah. I thought, as I said before, the bar for me for Chris Getz as a first year GM was on the ground. And so he's exceeded my expectation. He moves with the confidence of a mm-hmm. seasoned veteran uh, GM. As Vinny said, that he's one of the only GMs making moves out here. Not in a rush to trade Dylan Cease. You're not hitting his number. Cool, I'll keep him. Shoot. And you got to hit my number. He's been moving with some confidence. And as John Palmerosi just said, like he, it seems like they move in a collaborative effort. Him, Josh Barfield, Gene Watson, Brian Bannister. And it's good. But he's the decision maker. He's the guy. He's that, the that stuck out to me. Was saying we, you know, obviously here in Chicago, we, you didn't know who was in charge. Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams. It sounds like on the national level, they had the same questions. So yeah. then you kind of also wonder, okay, within the MLB community and the other twenty nine clubs, yep. do they know they're Chris Getz is is the is at the top of the you know at the top of the chain, and there's no dispute. So I think that's uh, great for the White Sox going forward and I think he did well here and and hopefully you know these moves do add up into something going forward hey everyone I want to tell you about Circa Sportsbook Circa Sportsbook is our favorite because they offer the tight money line split and low hold hold model games always uh, strive to be a negative 110 split on the Circa Sports menu unlike other sportsbook which may use a negative 115 or negative 120 which means more money to the book 
when you lose. Circus Sports keeps as little as money as possible on large market bets like futures, golf tournaments, etc., especially compared to those other books. Books. They always, always, always emphasize their transparency because Circus Sports does not limit players based on their winnings. Every player has the same limits, unlike other books who do not limit winning players. And they encourage bettors to download and explore all of those other sports betting apps because they're confident they'll always have the best lines and the best odds. Circuit customer service is also top of class. They are real people behind the Circuit Sports brand, and they resolve issues in a timely fashion, unlike other books who use chatbots. And all aspects of the app are being run by the same team that runs the main Circuit Sports book at Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Download the Circus Sports Illinois app at circussports.com slash Illinois-app to sign up today. And also be on the lookout for Circa events, watch parties, and tailgates. If you or someone you know who may have a problem with gambling, call 1-800-GAMBLER or text GAMB to 833-234 or visit areyoureallywinning.com. CHGO is supported by Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's beer, since 1988. Their beer roster includes the Oktoberfest, Beer Hug Family, 312 Wheat Ale, and the Full Pocket Pills, the everyday beer, what the brewers are drinking, not Milwaukee Brewers, the brewers at the actual brew place. Um, the the CHGO Blackhawks, the CHGO Bulls will be having takeovers. These events are sponsored by uh, the folks at uh, Goose Island, so be on the lookout for those events. What you want to do right now is grab an ultra-fresh brewery-exclusive brewery beer at Goose Island's original brew house on Clybourne Avenue in Lincoln Park or from their tap room on Fulton Street in Westtown. I've been there multiple times. They have beers that I haven't listed here and beers that you'll love. That Saison, it's just mwah, tequila is just so delicious. Goose Island Beer Company is Chicago's beer. All right, so uh, we've talked about the Rule 5 draft. Uh, we've talked about Eric Fetty. The other, and maybe uh, made even bigger news on Twitter, was the news that Jerry Reinsdorf was spotted meeting with Nash, Nashville Mater Freddie O'Connell. We've seen Jerry around uh, the hotel here. He was spotted, I guess, downtown or wherever the mayor works out of, I guess, City Hall, um, meeting with him. Jerry Reinsdorf started tw- trending on Twitter this morning uh, because, obviously, there were those rumors over the summer that he was you know, possibly threatening to move to Nashville now. Jerry did deny that, and uh, while the team did confirm today that that meeting did take place, they also kind of said, "Look, this uh, is not as big of a deal as maybe it's you know being made out to be." Well, I mean, what they said was that they wouldn't talk about what the topics were. I think that listen, there, there, we don't know what they talked about. Mm-hmm. I think the thing is that w- when you have what happened in August which was the Cranes report saying he was considering a number of new ideas for where the team would play, uh, be it somewhere else in the city besides 35th and Shields, be it somewhere in the suburbs. And then Nashville was brought up as one of those other possible options. It's hard to d- divorce those two thoughts in the, right. in the minds of a lot of people. Those things seem to go together. Um, so we don't know. Listen, Jerry, we do what we do know about Jerry is that he's very involved with the upper levels of major league baseball. He's uh, one of the longest serving owners and he's got, uh, you know, um, great, uh, you know, influence and presence in, in with, with the commissioner and with all the big decision making that goes on. Um, we also know that there is an effort underway to bring baseball to Nashville in, in with an expansion team. Uh, Dave Stewart is one of the people spearheading that operation. A great friend of Tony La Russa, who's a great friend of Tony La Russa, Jerry Reinsdorf. So, you know, it, 
But then there is this whole thing um, that we saw in August. There is that, you know, he it was something he felt the need to address when we talked to him the day Chris Getz was promoted. And then there's going going on back to what the late 1980s, right? And 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 everything that happened then. So mm-hmm. um, this isn't this isn't anything at the moment. You know, you've got to remember that there are six years left on that on the lease at, at Guaranteed Rate Field. Right. But for a fan base that has dealt with so much negative uh, during this calendar year, this really just seems to be the obvious conclusion that they would jump to. And so I understand why it is a big deal on social media, that it will be a talking point. Um, if it if it wasn't about that, you would think maybe it would behoove the White Sox to say it wasn't about that. Uh, that's not what happened today. Um, and so I understand why folks are thinking what they're thinking. Uh, at, the, at the end of the day, this day is not a big deal at the moment mm-hmm. until something else, if something else were to happen. Yeah, I think that um, they're probably on purpose not giving you much out there. He maybe wants it to speculate out there in the atmosphere for the reasons we're talking about in the 80s because he did this type of playbook back in the 80s where he was flirting with the St. Pete uh, White Sox and moving the team down there, and he got his way here with the Illinois legislator and Big Jim Thompson, who was the governor at the time, big-time White Sox fan, and got the stadium he wanted to be built. So it's just leverage, I think, in my personal opinion, that he's just, you know, maybe just doing the stuff that Vinny's saying and meeting with the national mayor about a proposed uh, new team for the Nashville team. And it's not about the White Sox, but it doesn't hurt for, for him to have a shroud of secrecy and have that, all that rumor innuendo going out there. And maybe the White Sox are moving to Nashville and the Illinois people are like, oh, are they moving to Nashville? Yeah. Oh, oh, all right. We got to keep them here. But I don't know if that would work necessarily this time because we already know the playbook. And also, the White Sox are not that good right now. So White Sox fans, most of the people I've been talking about is like, bet, if you had to go to Nashville, go to Nashville. Deuces, brother. But uh, it's good for Jerry to have this type of speculation out there. It's good for everybody, for, for his pocketbook. But I know he's a smart man. He understands the Chicago market is the Chicago market. It's a world-class city. And while this is a good city in Nashville, we, we've seen it. Come on now. The, the thing Come that stands out to me, though, is Nashville can really almost, I think, stand like they. it is this this kind of, you know, it's an expansion spot. Right. So you could bring an expansion team here if you did bring in the right investors. But then it also serves the purposes for owners, not only including Jerry Reinsdorf in their efforts to, you know, upgrade their existing, you know, stadium. But, you know, Milwaukee has been rumored, you know, and put in the Nashville uh, hat. Let's say, you know, Cleveland or Kansas City, they start having problems getting what they want out of a stadium deal. Nashville can be what the LA was, you know, to, to the NFL for, for 20 Perfect. plus years. Yes. So correct. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's going to be interesting going forward. So yeah, they already taken the Las Vegas one away. So they need to have another boogeyman. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like Nashville. I mean, I don't you know, like for like the longest time I was like, Oh, there could be maybe a third team in, in, in the New York market. We'll put it in Northern New Jersey. You, you don't hear that much as much anymore, but Nashville is like, you know, Tennessee is this symbol for kind of like the new America. Everything's kind of moving South and into, you know, different States. And, um, you know, it, it probably behooves major league baseball to have this market be empty for as long as it takes to get everyone into situations where they want to be in their current market. So that sucks. That's how it works. I know it's how it works, but it sucks that that's how it works, right? Yeah. Yep, I mean, and I'm, and you know, I'm not even 
listen, the everything this fan base has been through this year, you would think that they, you wouldn't want to throw this on top of it, right? And there's, no. so there's that. And then, listen, if you don't care about that, fine. You know, that's that's your prerogative. Maybe we shouldn't live in a society where uh, billionaire organizations get public money to build a stadium. But well, that's just my thought. And I saw someone <laughs> mention that the, the, the Titans just got $1.26 billion uh, from, from taxpayers Ridiculous. here, right? And cool. taxpayers Ridiculous. are not happy, right? So cool. so how is baseball going to come in here and, and get even more money to, uh, you know, to, to build – they don't even have a baseball stadium. I mean, they have a triple A stadium, but you're not going to move a major league team in there. So it's, uh, it's, it's all part of the soap opera of sports in 2024. Uh, Hey, I want to tell everyone about Midtown athletic club. We miss Midtown athletic club. Always every day. We're going to get back to Midtown athletic club. I'm calling people as soon as I get out of this and see if I could be a member (laughs) because Midtown has four Chicago land locations, Palatine in the Northwest suburbs, Bannockburn in the North shore, Willow brick in the Southwest suburbs and Midtown athletic club and hotel in the middle of Bucktown and Lincoln park. Midtown Palatine is undergoing a multi-million dollar transformation of the club, which will be complete in early 2024. Listeners can lock in favorable rates. If they join before the end of the year, they have something at the clubs for everyone, whether you're single, you're a family, uh, you're a person looking to make a lifestyle change. Uh, Midtown Chicago is the nicest fitness club I've ever been to. It's the nicest fitness club you'll ever been to. No matter what you know, you think is a really nice gym in Chicago, Midtown Athletic Club is at the top of the food chain. They have super luxe locker rooms with wet and dry saunas and premium amenities like nice fluffy towels and Dyson hair dryers. Uh, they offer amazing outdoor and indoor pools and hot tubs. Uh, they also have a collection of boutique fitness studios, so you don't have to join like five different places to get all you know everything that you want, whether it's you know. Uh, bike riding or uh you know cardio tennis it's everything under one roof and all the equipment too is there like top if you of need yoga mats they're already there the biking shoes you bring them in yourself or if you don't need them if you don't want them use your regular shoes you they go. have everything you need there at the club so you're not carrying a bunch of stuff there exactly and they offer the best tennis courts and programming the sport midtown has indoor outdoor tennis pickleball and paddle tennis they are usta professional quality all the way Head over to midtown.com forward slash CHGO to find out more and to tour the Midtown Athletic Club nearest you at your convenience. So things are wrapping up here at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel in Nashville. There was like thousands of people here for the Rule 5 draft. They all poured out. Casey's new friend, Clint Hurdle, came out. (laughs) Talked with Casey. They talked about Pittsburgh. That was cool. But now everyone's gone. Clint Hurdle's gone. All that's left is CHGO, a guy from PHLY, a guy from PHNX, and that's about it. Tom Rosa came back and just was doing things. He was, uh, you know, yeah, he was just chilling here while you're doing that Midtown read. He's just making sure we're all good. And he's going to be on the Cubs show in a little bit. See? Is he? Yes, he is. Nice. Ah, Beautiful. Well, I'm sure he has thoughts on Shohei Atani and Yeah, that'll be on at 4, so make sure you tune in all for right. that. Cool. We want to thank everyone uh, for supporting us at CHGO. Without you, trips like these would not be possible, and we really uh, don't take that for granted. We love coming down here and putting in a full team effort, bringing you the best podcasts, the best written content, the best social content. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, These guys will be back on CHGO White Sox tomorrow. Sean will be back next week. I want to thank everyone for letting me uh, 
uh, do a nice little stint here, a nice little three-day stint. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to talk about the White Sox. And, uh, yeah, for Herb Lauren, for Brittany Duber, <laughs> and for Steven Necklace, I'm Kevin Kadick, CHO White Sox. We'll see you next time. We all city like the mayor. 